Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, number 56 with Eric Olson from Helix Education. It was super fun chatting with Eric, uh, kind of catching up with him and talking about podcasting and kind of talking shop of uh, online digital education stuff. We work in similar spaces there. So um, really appreciate uh, all that Eric shared and just the, the energy that he brought to the show and uh uh, just getting to know him a little bit better and being able to, to share out this great conversation that uh, hopefully kind of energizes you like it did for me. So uh, check out everything that we mentioned in the episode down the show notes uh, as usual. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode number 56 with Eric Olson. All right. Well, I uh, appreciate you, Eric, uh, making some time for the show here. I think this is a, a long overdue chat I've been looking forward to. So um, you know, I know a bit about your your background and everything, but um, you just want to do uh, kind of our usual uh, spiel here in terms of like your introduction, uh, who you are, and you know, your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Awesome. Thrilled to be here, Dustin. You're one of my favorite people and my favorite brains. Uh, so glad that this is a good excuse just to talk to you. And, uh, and I'm glad we're recording it in case it's helpful for other people. Sure. So uh, my background in general, um, uh, prior to higher ed, I was an ad agency guy, uh, copyright creative director for B2B and B2C ad agencies uh, around the Chicagoland area, moved to higher education almost 10 years ago now um, because I thought higher ed was on the precipice of making high quality um, education uh, free to the world. And we were about, we were like just, just on the precipice of the democratization of higher education. Um, if you ask me 10 years later, I'll still say, I, I think we're almost just there. It, it, it was a slower process than I thought, but I, I, I ended up going, you know, falling backwards into um, a, a generous community that I'm, I'm super proud to be a part of. Um, worked at Lewis University, mid-sized private Catholic um, school in Chicago, um, uh, most recently as their director of enrollment communications. Uh, at the time, I was also writing uh, for higheredlive.com, uh, which I'm sure most listeners uh, are familiar with. Uh, became friends with uh, Seth O'Dell. Uh, he came out to Salt Lake City uh, to be GM of marketing at Helix Education, um, which is a an OPM, an online program management provider um, in the higher education space, meaning uh, Helix helps uh, launch, grow, and manage uh, online programs on behalf of universities. Um, he came out here to be GM. He needed someone on the corporate marketing side. Uh, to to run that division uh, and help kind of brand Helix uh, in the market um, because of that um, relationship formed from uh, saying yeah I'll be a guest writer and I know I know you do a lot of similar mm-hmm. things on your side Dustin so uh, I, I, a I love that from a, a generosity of spirit and helping make everyone smarter I think it's a really good uh, idea from a selfless standpoint there are also some real networking opportunities that come from that as well so I came and followed Seth out here uh, from Lewis I loved what I was doing at Lewis um, love it even more at Helix in terms of getting to do that same kind of um, thoughtful enrollment growth strategy at scale. Uh, for a lot of partners. So I've been at Helix for about uh, three and a half years. I run our brand strategy, content, creative, and corporate marketing teams here at Helix. Very cool. Yeah. And we're just like generally in, uh, yeah, like similar spheres of uh, the higher ed world and like you doing your own podcast as well. And, um, you know, we'll link out uh, the stuff to have everybody be able to check it out and everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, like we got connected through like, you know, the content that you're producing and, um, yeah, just like doing these things like, 
that can, um, you know, like build your professional network or lead to another opportunity. Yeah. Certainly like an advocate for that. Cause it's been, uh, really nice for myself. Cause it is just like, I'm, I'm consuming a lot of things and I'll be thinking about it and, uh, being able to articulate it in a way that other people would understand, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a good exercise for me in terms of like writing or, you know, when I'm speaking with somebody about stuff on the podcast. So, um, sometimes it is almost just like, Oh, it's almost in a certain way, like selfish. Like it's, you know, like it helps me to like sort through things, but then yeah, like having a generous spirit when I'm not just like keeping it in a draft on my blog, it's like, no, I want this to get out there. I'd love for people to, you know, find it useful and relevant. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, many people do. So, um, yeah, it's boy. Let's let's stay there and talk about that for a second because I think you're hitting on something really important, especially for uh, uh, you know similar like-minded geeks who are listening to this and, and and probably are empathetic to podcasting in general. You're right. I think if you tell someone, you know, do these things and think of yourself long term as this media company and this very selfish thing, it's not going to work. But in general, um, the idea I think for both of us, podcasting seemed fun. It seemed like you'd learn a new skill. Um, the, what comes out of it. So, so for me, uh, the podcast that, uh, that I run via Helix is enrollment growth university where I am interviewing, um, typically a C level, uh, leader of a college or university about some sort of enrollment growth strategy. They are experimenting with or playing with, uh, at their institution, whether that's an academic one, whether that's an enrollment growth strategy, whether that's research based, whether that is programmatic. Um, and, and what it's meant to me in terms of, A, I'm just curious and like meeting people and like learning new things, but it has been incredibly helpful for me professionally, not just the network of, of, you know, now I'm, you know, 84 weeks in and I've had 84 conversations with 84 of the smartest people in higher ed and like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. But I'm learning what everyone is doing you know, best at their institution. And I, I'm, I'm learning from Stanford and I'm learning from Dartmouth and I'm learning from Iowa college and these small guys too. And there is so much creativity in higher ed, um, and generous people willing to say, Hey, you all should be doing this too. Um, but we're either siloed or working on other things. And so, um, me personally getting to understand, Hey, if I'm going to start, you know, Ramsdale University or or Olson University, what should it look like? I have a kind of good idea now from seeing what all these different individuals have have discovered um, as best practices. So, yeah, in terms of the Machiavellian, start a podcast so that you can get a better job. Like, like, please don't do that. Uh, but it might happen if you, if your real intentions are just just deep curiosity. Um, I think that a good like little asterisk on it is like, yes, don't purely do it just to like further your own goals. Yeah. <laughs> Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like I think people will see through that because I think that is like, I think, you know, broadly because now it's like everybody has a podcast. It's like it's either, you know, it's like at yeah. best it's like, OK, you're clearly just doing this to further your brand. It's like not an awful show, but like maybe not the most creative thing. And then like, yeah, other people are genuinely like, I don't care what happens with this. Like I would do it anyway if I'm, you know, not even getting anything from it kind of thing just because it's like, yeah, like good conversations and, you know, just generously sharing them out and those sort of things. So. No, it's 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 the most annoying thing I do uh, in terms of oh god Monday's coming again mm. and I need something. Uh, it's also the most rewarding thing I do. The the other one I've been experimenting with uh, again for Helix over the last four months now is going to a daily. So enrollment growth briefing um, is a daily, um, really just content creation. Uh, similarly, not interviewing people. Um, just similarly, you know, reading the Chronicle, reading Inside Higher Ed, reading Ed Surge, reading all these EDU pubs, and really just serving as this curation, um, you know, 
specific to enrollment growth strategies. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, boy, I wish someone else was doing this that I wouldn't have to, uh, but I would totally listen to this. And, and so creating the podcast uh, or, or you know, creating the media entity or execution that you wish existed in the world uh, is, again, yes, a much better strategy than, um, you know, what's in this for yeah, me. Kind of just like serving others sort of thing. So um, very yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess I'm curious because, you know, we kind of, uh, have like the Venn diagram of this show is like both the higher ed and the geeky stuff. So like, you know, obviously uh, we often have guests who work in higher ed. So that like kind of checks off that box kind of thing. But I always do like to ask people too, like, cause you know, many people it's like they catch the bug when they're like an RA or they do something in higher ed. So they continue that path. You came through, you know, a different route, which I think is equally valuable that it's not as if obviously this is such like special sauce that like only people who like have only worked in higher ed could ever understand it. It's like, you know, you worked for an ad agency, you came in and, you know, you were kind of intrigued and, you know, uh, wanted to pursue this field and those sort of things. So at least in part of like your, your origin story, as I like to call it, like, is there anything even, you know, just like lessons learned people you met or, um, anything like that, I guess, just from your college experience, anything that comes to mind that is still like, you know, salient to you personally and or professionally. I'm always just curious, I guess, in terms of like, you know, these are the type of things that we might want our students, you know, that people are working with to sort of um, hopefully like take away like anything, I guess, that comes to mind. Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted me as a 22 year old. I, I do not think you would have you would have seen uh, you might have seen some some very raw potential, but you would have seen someone who had just jumped in the river and was just letting it carry him downstream. So uh, the reason I chose college was because I was uh, the drummer uh, of, a, of a jam band in Chicago, and my lead singer decided to go to Bradley University in central Illinois. And mm-hmm. I looked up their website, saw they uh, um, had a marketing program, and I'm like, all right, I'll just follow him down there. It was that thoughtlessly, Dustin. Uh, it, it was literally a 30-second conversation. And if you're asking mm-hmm. me why was I even looking for a marketing program, it's because I was a golfer, and I thought that you golfed uh, as a marketing person. Um, it has been 15 years uh, um, since choosing that. I have never golfed once uh, in my marketing career. So there is some serendipity there where I didn't know what marketing was. Um, I was a journalist for my college paper, which gave me a lot of, of great writing experience. Um, I, you know, social media and SEO um, were just starting to come out in a significant way when I was in college. Um, and so I was obsessed with that. Uh, but again, very, very thoughtless, unconscious, non-awakened, non-enlightened Eric. Uh, got a call from a local agency um, summer before my senior year and asked if uh, I wanted to be a copywriting intern. And I went home and Googled, what is a copywriting copywriter do is that one of those trademark people and then i saw that oh a copywriter is like you know it's like a marketing strategist who is really good at advertising and also a really good writer i'm like oh my goodness like that exists so again uh serendipity divinity luck uh coincidence chance um it, it ended up just presenting itself to me as this thing that this this is the overlap of my the art and science of persuasion is super interesting to me and writing was my first love. Um, and so that's what I fell into. Um, so, uh, in terms of, of higher ed originally, um, I met my wife, uh, at my, at my, my first institution, my undergraduate institution, um, you know, got set up with my internship at agencies and it really just launched me into this professional world. So I always had a, um, you know, just a, uh, a love and appreciation for for my undergraduate education. Um, as I started in the professional world, um, I found myself drawn to 
smart people. I was this curious person who wanted to get smarter. And uh, I noticed that a lot of my favorite people uh, and my favorite thinkers uh, were professors um, and lecturers, and they wrote books. And I'm like, boy, there is something about that environment of a, of, of a campus environment that I think if I want to be around the smartest people I can, uh, I might find them at an institution. And again, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, this concept of, I really thought, I mean, you know, MOOCs were just coming out, um, you know, Udacity and Coursera were, were, were playing around, Harvard X and things like that, where it's like, you, might, you know, I'm going to be able to go for, to Harvard graduate school for free and get a credential in like 2007. Um, and, and of course, that still hasn't happened yet. Um, but that, that idea of, of higher ed is very close to tipping, and I think all the smartest people were there, it seemed just to me, to be uh, the best place to be around uh, the smartest minds. Um, and and I absolutely have found that, and that has proven itself true. Very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, and just almost like, you know, that awareness and hindsight of just like kind of, uh, you know, being grateful for that serendipity and everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess just like, you know, that you – Something was, you know, drawing you to this, you know, to marketing and everything. Like, obviously, it's not, it was like more golf based, which it's not. You yeah. know, I guess some people make it that way. But um, please, someone invite me golfing. Like, I, I yeah, want, yeah. I want my seventeen-year-old reality and dream to come true. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I guess you maybe kind of alluded to that. You know, like you're just like a very curious person. So you're, uh, at least now in this role, at least you know you're talking to people a lot and you know learning things that way. Like, I guess you know, just in terms of your current work, like those are the things like maybe like you obviously had to, I don't know if that was really part of your role. Like you maybe had to like kind of ask for that to be something that you could work on. Like, but um, I don't know, just, just sort of those things in terms of your current work, like is an environment that you felt encouraged to, you know, work on these new things. And that's what's really kept you like engaged with it. Because I think, um, you know, the space is like, still growing and like kind of like figuring things out in terms of like OPMs and how we work with universities and those sort of things. So, yeah, I mean, this kind of like sort of like wild west of like, you know, higher ed, you know, is sort of what's happening, but um, yeah, like what keeps you engaged currently with your work and maybe just like your environment or um, yeah, just any of those things that are top of mind. I think you've, you've kind of alluded to it. Oh, no. Oh, I, I have so many new thoughts, Dustin, and I'll, I'll just start diving in and feel free to redirect me. Yeah, so so Carol Dweck, most of you guys might be familiar with her and this concept of growth mindset and this idea of, you know, avoiding stasis and, and always learning and always changing. And I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, how have people gotten this far without a growth mindset? And I realized they, they, they've been able to if they're in an industry that changes slowly. Um, the uh-huh. benefit of being a marketer, um, um, so again, when you talk about like like Malcolm Gladwell's outliers and, and what was unique to your story, you know, graduating college, um, you know, in, in the early 2000s uh, and being the low man on the totem pole at an ad agency um, was no one wanted to understand what that book face thing actually was and, and how do you get on Google and what is CO and things like that. And so it, it, it was, you were the low man on a totem pole and had to figure this out for the executives because they were starting to get the, asked those questions by clients and they didn't have good answers to it. And so not because of, of my skill set, uh, but because I, I didn't have one, was I forced to uh, gain these really strong digital chops, um, you know, pre-marketing going digital. Uh, and so, you know, I graduated at a, at a very unique time 
time where everything was changing. And the reality of the last 15 years of my marketing career is that everything has changed every year. Marketing principles uh, have not changed. The art of persuasion uh, has not changed. Um, you know, but uh, uh, you know, where do you leverage your marketing dollars? How do you play with marketing attribution? Uh, what is this mix of of smart media buying versus just high end creative? Um, you know, when does the right column of Facebook start to look like white noise, so those ads no longer work? That is changing so so quickly um, that marketing is such a fun field to be in because. Even if you are at the top of your game right now, if you go check out for two years, you're 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 a fifty percenter. Uh, and so, what I love about marketing in general is that it forces you to you know maintain that Carol Dweck growth mindset. Um, what I love about the OPM business and, and in general Helix's um, you know clientele, which are wonderful tier two uh, private institutions who have great stories to tell and have historically not been great about telling them are are nervous right now in terms of we're seeing a lot of consolidation of private institutions specifically. Um, and so when I am working with my partners at Helix, um, uh, they typically, um, you know, don't have huge brand recognition outside of their state. And so the marketing challenge is a true marketing challenge. And it is, it is I can't just have the same online offering as uh, some of the elites uh, or some of uh, you know, the big online players, I've got to be a lot better. I have to be a lot more creative. I have to have a lot better student experience. I have to be uh, a lot more strategic. I have to have really solid enrollment operations. I have to have high touch communication, personalization strategies. You have to do not anything magic, but you better do everything right. And so that reality to me, you know, outside of higher ed, if I'm, if I'm not in higher ed 20 years from now, I've had to think very holistically about, you know, creating a great student experience uh, is not a higher ed problem. It is a, it is a, a, a business problem in general. And in order to get uh, some of these schools that deserve to win to stay the winners, um, they need to kind of rethink uh, how they do business. Uh, and the things that worked for them 20 years ago, uh, I would argue, worked uh, in spite of them, even uh, I think demographics were in higher ed's favor for 20 years, uh, and those All days right. are over. There are less students graduating high school uh, in 2022 than there were in, in in 2015. And so, you know, what does that look like? You're not going to get eight eight percent growth anymore just because of demographics. So you're going to have to fight for it, and you're going to have to be really smart about it. And so, being in an environment where I'm forced to think through what does a college that exists in 2050 look like, as well as how do I hit my false Start this year. That mix of short-term and long-term thinking um, is a is a privilege, a joy, and an honor to come to to work for and try to solve those problems every day. Oh. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, because like you're, because I think this happens with like students. Like what you're saying of like you've got a tall order in front of you, but it's like you know it's good work to be doing, and it's like a you know uh, the journey, you know, and those sort of things. It's like those high expectations like it's the same thing you put those on students it's like yeah they're they're often going to work really hard to measure to your high expectations and those sort of things and like you said like certain places just kind of resting on their laurels and just kind of sitting back it's like there was a time where that yeah like kind of worked in or worked well enough or whatever but yeah there's just like uh, such an opportunity now to at least just make sure that we're you know uh, helping these institutions manifest their the great work that they're doing in the digital space and um 
you know, if that's just kind of like a buoy, you know, for people, because it is just like, I think for me, it's always like a weird thing where I'm like, yeah, there's so much competition. It's so hard. And like, you know, but, you know, just working, uh, you know, working as much as you can to help work towards that goal. Because I know too, it's like, like, this is the only way that this can work out in terms of like having more institutions doing high quality digital education, because it's like, there's so many people that like, never got their bachelor's or like need to further their career professionally with a graduate degree and those sort of things. So like, you know, there, there's like a lot of work to be done here. So it's like just all these people who are coming together to kind of commit to doing it. Um, you know, it's important and it's like the only way that we're going to like educate and train more people to do the jobs that we need them to do for, you know, like you said, for the future, just looking ahead. So, you know, we have to kind of lay that groundwork down now. Um, Let's have some get real talk here too, Dustin, in terms of, (laughs) I think we both mentioned this idea of this, this new competitive reality that we're in. We're not even close to what the real competitive reality is going to be. We've, we've had to start getting nervous uh, for the first time in higher ed's history, but even when you look at online programs that, that both of you and I work in, um, you know, 75% of students are still coming within a hundred miles of campus even if they're studying online students, I would argue are not making fully rational choices yet. Uh, it is not like we're all going to an online marketplace like Amazon and looking at reviews and typing in some words that are important to me and seeing, Oh, you know, this 365 value brand is obviously the best brand, you know, best education, you know, employers value it. And it's at a pretty good price. We are still playing within a much smaller competitive set than we probably need be in terms of, uh, of, of a student really making the best decision for themselves. Um, but, but as that continues to, tra- to, to change, uh, as, as more of these college students you know, grow up digital natives and Gen Z and Alpha, um, we're going to see a, uh, I don't think I really care that the, the school that I go to is 30 miles away from me um, if I can get a very similar respected degree for 40% of the price. Um, and, and, and while we're starting to see the, the very beginnings of that, the real competition in higher ed happens um, as, as the, the consumer becomes hyper, hyper rational. And again, in every industry, it's slower than we think it's going to be. Um, but but uh, you know, we mentioned this competitive angst that a lot of our institutions uh, you know, have right now next 10, 15, 20 years, um, if we move to a, uh, you know, online education majority world uh, where people have less care about um, if their on-campus version of their college has a football team or not, uh, the game is drastically <laughs> going to change. And so our institution can't take, uh, you know, three, you know, three percent, five percent, eight percent improvements. Uh, we have to make principled decisions about, you know, what college looks like in 2050. Uh, and that's an exciting challenge that I love being a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, yeah, I mean, just in terms of, like, I think, yeah, you've mentioned like we're sort of just uh, similar in the sense of being both, you know, geeks and higher ed, higher ed geeks, whatever you kind of want to call it sort of thing in terms of just like the personality and the way that you think about things and, um, just sort of like the passion and everything. So, um, and not getting too stuck up because sometimes I'm like, oh, is that like more like nerdy or geeky or dorky or whatever? Like, but it, it's just generally like that, you know, I've committed to obviously like higher ed geek in terms of that way that I've kind of described it of like, you know, really being curious, really being passionate, really, uh, you know, delving deep into the things that matter. Um, so, 
if it is more so like professionally related in terms of things that are really like grabbing your attention um, or just like personal fun stuff, like what are you geeking out about right now? Like, is it newer things uh, that you've just discovered or stuff that you've always been into? Um, just anything that is grabbing your attention. We can certainly make sure that we're kind of um, giving a tip of the hat to anything in particular that we'd want to put in the show notes. But I guess just broad strokes here to start out. And then we can, yeah, we can kind of dig in. Yeah, and so the benefit of me, you know, interviewing these brilliant minds in higher ed over the last 84 weeks and counting is that I'm being exposed to what institutions are are doing differently. Um, and I think a couple of the biggest things that I'm excited about are um, seeing institutions uh, bridge stronger partnerships and relationships with industry in terms of we are graduating students that employers are fundamentally saying are unprepared to hit the ground running for us. Um, and so there is a gap here uh, in terms of what higher ed is graduating, in terms of what we think is important, uh, especially from a liberal arts standpoint of what a well-rounded student uh, ought to be um, versus an employer who says, yeah, we want someone who is valuable to us on day one. And how do we better bridge that gap? How do we better incorporate employer feedback in improving our curriculum? And so some of the most exciting stories I've seen from that, um, a couple examples off the top of my head, uh, Eastern Washington uh, University was launching a new data analytics program. And they're in Spokane, Washington, and uh, or near it, and and Microsoft is a uh, you know leading employer uh, in mm. that area. And so instead of their faculty sitting in a room and just, and you know deciding you know what should a data analytics program be, uh, they called Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft spent seven weeks uh, with their faculty um, saying, if your curriculum is like this, we would hire every single one of your graduates sight unseen. And it was a it was a no brainer win win. It was a why are not we working with the employers that we want to hire our students eventually to help inform what the curriculum should be and not dictate it. Uh, you know, this isn't just a Microsoft training ground. You know, that's not what our colleges are, are turning into. But if we're ignoring those voices altogether, um, how can we be surprised that these employers uh, and especially the prominent employers are underwhelmed uh, by the graduates that were graduating? And so they spun this program up. Seven months from that first meeting, they were enrolling new students in it. These students now get this data analytics degree from um, Eastern Washington, as well as four Microsoft certifications uh, that are typically and historically were like a part of that uh, new hire's first year and a half in order to get those. But now they come in first day with them. Um, and so it's, it's a no-brainer win-win. Similarly, um, the University of Memphis I had on the show um, uh, a couple months ago, and they talked about their relationship uh, with FedEx and how um, FedEx is now offering um, completely free subsidized tuition for uh, all of their employees as a recruitment uh, incentive, as a as, as a employee retention um, uh, incentive as well. And so I think a lot of us hear stories like that. We're like, oh, you know, Disney and Arizona State and, and you know, FedEx and Memphis, oh, they sure are lucky. When you talk to what University of Memphis did to secure that relationship, they bent over backwards 
to understand what FedEx's problems were from a retention and recruitment uh, and upskilling standpoint and fundamentally created an entirely new product uh, for that partnership. And in so doing, you know, there's a there's a fairly good chance or a reasonable chance that 30% of their student base will be FedEx employees uh, in the next five years. And those students they're graduating will, you know, not have an incredible amount of student debt. Um, but but we're seeing a lot of these corporate partnerships where tuition is moving from student debt driven to employer sponsored. And, and so a lot of our issues of, you know, the ethical crises in terms of we're getting all these dropouts who have, you know, 80 grand in debt and no credential to show for it. Uh, and shame on us, um, these corporate partnerships where you have all these employers who are doing everything they can to recruit good talent, uh, including free tuition. Um, uh, you know, what I'm excited about is, is working with our partners to to be those institutions who are not just, hey, yeah, send students our way and, you know, we'll give you 3% off tuition. It's like, okay, they can get that anywhere. Um, but what can we really give them in terms of understanding um, what their upskilling issues are, what their current workforce has from a talent standpoint um, that they need, and how do we create programs specifically for these employers that help solve their problems? And is that a better reflection of, of, of what high it needs to be. Um, so, so that is probably the thing that that I'm geeking at, at the most uh, at Helix right now. A lot of us are talking about that. Um, we're, we're hiring a lot more of those corporate partnership specialists uh, at Helix to help design those programs uh, mm-hmm. with our partners. So, in terms of uh, you know the, the the future of higher education that got me into the industry, yeah, I think free, democratized, uh, you know, adaptive learning uh, education where Harvard decides out of the goodness of their heart to to let me put it on my resume, even though I didn't pay them anything. I do think that'll happen eventually. I think this kind of shorter term is this student debt-driven industry moving to an employer-subsidized um, uh, education um, is, is something that's really exciting to me. Um, one other one that, that I just uh, had on the podcast a couple of days ago, so it won't come out for a couple of weeks, is I talked to the president of um, Brigham Young University Pathway Worldwide. And their major curriculum difference stemmed from the fact that uh, Brigham Young University is in Salt Lake City, Utah, and so they have a lot of um, uh, uh, Mormon students. And so a lot of these male Mormon students will go on a mission uh, directly after high school, and they'll come back, you know, when they're 24, 25, and start going to school. And so historically, we've told those adult students now, okay, yeah, so go to school full-time for the next four years and don't earn a livable wage until you're 29 years old. Uh, that is incredibly unrealistic uh, for the great many people. So their unique circumstances of these post-mission uh, students force them to say, we have to give these students a certificate earlier in the process. And so they flipped gen eds uh, and the major specific courses so that a year and a half in, um, their students have a certificate in business management or marketing or computer science uh, or music so that they can get a a serviceable job uh, while they, you know, spend the next two and a half years, you know, knocking off some of their gen eds. Um, and just that flipping from a financial standpoint for the student, um, you know, has been completely game changing. From a persistence standpoint, um, the students who are not doing that cert first uh, uh, path have a 65% uh, graduation rate. For the cert first students, they have an 85% graduation rate. And so it's a lot of these things where in terms of if you ask me like, you know, what is the future of higher ed? Again, I go to my, you know, my uh, online, I'll save everything. 
But you see these certain institutions who have had to go in survival mode because they're going to die, and they come up with incredibly creative solutions. Or you have this, you know, uh, you know, interesting religious student base where that forces us to create this very interesting uh, solution that perhaps the rest of higher ed who are not, um, you know, trying to service these same ex-mission students uh, should consider, uh, you know, flipping around, um, you know, the order of our curriculum. And so, uh, again, I think I think it's this combination of of if we do a better job, and again, it, it's it's what you're doing and what I'm doing in terms of how do we shine spotlights on the best ideas in higher ed so that we can get to this inevitable end game quicker. Um, and so, yeah, if I got to pick one, this idea of corporate partnerships and the idea that will you know the top 200 employers in America fund 60 percent of students uh, in the next 10 years? Uh, to me, I think the answer is yes. And I think that changes everything. And I think if you're not focused and sprinting toward that as an institution, as an educational partner, uh, you're going to be missing out. Yeah. No, that's a really good, like, just like takeaway or something for people to kind of marinate on is like, yeah, that that potential. Because I think, you know, the unemployment numbers have been, you know, they're like at all time lows in terms of like, yeah, like recruitment and retention of employees, like really competitive benefits like that being valuable. So it's sort of like, you know, in their best interests and the best interest of, you know, training people to the jobs that we need them to do in the future. And, you know, cause it is also like, you know, right now, like this evaluation of like, is higher ed, like a public good, like, should it just be, you know, invested in and supported in those sort of things. And it seems like right now there's a lot of traction with just like, like, okay, it's sort of like a, you know, you kind of get the home field advantage of like, okay, you, you live in New York, you've come, come through high school, you're more of the like, quote unquote, traditional age, you can go to like a community college or a public institution for free. And then you have to stay for a while in the state and those sort of things. So like, but that idea of like, freeing from those chains of just like, well, I like, I don't want to have to be here. Or also like, yeah, I'm an adult learner. And like, you know, adult learners are now kind of the new normal. So it's like, yeah, these people who are working at companies that have these benefits and yeah, like making sure that, you know, the positioning programs to be accessible online and high quality and, you know, fitting the needs of like, you know, what people want to pursue. And like you said, like, depending on, okay, I want to get this certification or this certificate or like these sort of things. Like, um, I've known that. Yeah. It'd be like really important for because like sometimes it is just like, Oh, I, like I'm just getting an MBA. I can't get like, you know, anything else kind of baked into that. Like, right. you know, it's like, that's almost like passe at this point. Cause it's like, like, well, I need that. And like a concentration yeah. Yeah. or I need, I need to be able to like kind of distinguish it maybe a little bit more. So, um, even, yeah, it's just like a persistence thing. It's like, you know, you've, you've earned this, like you've put in a lot of hard work already. And now like for a little bit more, you'll now get like, the next part of it, you know, like you kind of get the certification to say like, okay, you know, whatever the focus is, but then kind of the ultimate goal being like the, you know, the master's degree or something like that. Right, so that, right, that's exactly. really interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I think it like it, it that, again, just like I was saying, I mean, like, like, just like connected dots in my head of just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, cause I've just known again, just like experience with students, like asking those kind of questions. And, you know, I, I think it's often not like a deal breaker for them, but I mean, yeah, certainly just providing more value for them to be aware of, like, um, again, like working with potential employers for the types of certifications and things they would need, or um, at least just honoring the feelings that they have of, of wanting to be able to uh, distinguish themselves further for the types of jobs that they would want to be able to say that, like, my MBA is concentrated in, like, you know, international finance, you know, um, or something like that. So, um, 
Yeah, no, really interesting you, you, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and and similarly, you know, I sat down for a haircut the other day, and uh, uh, my hairstylist uh, asked me what I did, and he said, "Oh, I'm thinking about going back to school." And I'm like, "Oh, well, what, what do you want to study?" He's like, "Well, I kind of want to study computer science or programming." And I said, "All right, you are either in luck or in trouble because I'm about to just yell at you for about 35 minutes about <laughs> all your options." And he was he left very grateful about it, um, but I realized that boy, we have a lot of knowledge about. Um, very different kinds of options and models in terms of, you know, I think there was a lot of practicality in that idea of like, I think I want to be a coder. Is it because you love coding or is it because you think that's a better job than being a hairstylist in terms of, you know, monetary or, or whatever you right. want your future life to be? And so these students are are half picking out of passion, half picking out of practicality. There are a whole lot of ways to skin that cat. Uh, and so I gave him a bunch of them and I could tell I think he left extraordinarily confused. Um, but, but a lot of these students don't really understand, um, you know, what all our options are. So I think we... Um, as, as folks who, who love higher ed, the institutions we serve, as well as, as just the industry in general, you know, have a responsibility to help raise the um, larger consumer IQ uh, about what education itself looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. Yes, yeah, it's just like, it's got just all this has got me thinking, you know, just because uh, I'll probably be like, just stewing over it after uh, after our conversation. That's the here. point, yeah. right? Your shows are right, great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is this is great. Um, so, I think in terms of you know some of this stuff, I think it obviously very connects closely. Um, you know, to the work that you're doing. You know, these are like kind of like the professional geek outs. Um, so, I don't know if you like kind of go out the ba- out of bounds in terms of like other just higher ed related stuff. Obviously, like. It's the idea of like your marketing academic program, so it's like sort of in your wheelhouse to understand like yeah, like how people are pursuing learning and um, succeeding and persisting and those sort of things. But then like obviously a very large ecosystem and higher ed of all the different functional areas and those sort of things. But yeah, um, yeah. So I guess just in terms of and maybe it, it can kind of segue to any like sort of personal interest of yours, but just like any of these like hobbies and things that you would be doing, you know, kind of like after work or on a commute or you know, like you'd have like this downtime, like these hobbies and these interests, like how do you see them like positively contributing to your life? Whether again, it's just sort of like personal fulfillment or, um, you know, it just like helps you to do a better job. Like what, what kind of comes to mind there in terms of like these things that you're just doing because you're just, you know, so curious and, you know, just so interested to learn, like, yeah, like how are they providing value to your life? All right, let's go woo woo. Let's go all the way. So (laughs) first job in higher ed, web content manager at Lewis university, um, goal was to move to a responsive web design as well as completely reorganize reorganize all content, which involved me uh, interviewing um, eighty academic program chairs uh, in twelve months and rewriting all their web- website content. Um, it was it was an awesome, ambitious project. What it made me realize is that everything is the exact same thing. When I talked with our program chair of the marketing department and of math and of computer science and biology and music, when you got to, you know, what is your program about and what are you learning, we're all learning the same thing. There are some universal truths in this world uh, that uh, look a little bit different depending on what field and what prism you're looking at them through, Uh, but it's all the same thing. Getting good at one thing means you're going to get better at that other thing as well. And, you know, I, I think we all understand understand that kind of intuitively in terms of of you know what liberal arts means this well-rounded generalism uh, that helps us succeed anyway.
anywhere and, and, and understand these principles uh, that are relevant anywhere. Um, but it wasn't until I interviewed all those program chairs that I realized that we're all playing the exact same game. Um, and so for me, what that means when I look at things is uh, I'm a marketer and I'm a writer and I, I like the art of persuasion. Um, I, I'm a missional driven marketer in terms of that's why I work in higher education. But I want um, if, if I had a killer uh, you know, cigarette campaign, I wouldn't feel great about it because at the end of the day, I'm convincing more children to smoke. So to me, a killer Joe Camel part two that I, I concocted would not be a great use of my talents. But in general, um, as a marketer and as a writer, I see what are some things the world needs to know and what is the most you know, creative way to get them there. Um, so, so in general, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an antsy guy who, who loves building stuff. And so it, it helps me, um, to always have kind of a side hustle and a side project. Uh, almost none of them are ever revenue generating or even, de- or even designed to be, um, in, in 2008, uh, you know, Brock was leading the polls and I saw, um, in him, expectations placed on this man that I knew he could never live up to. He did pretty good, actually. Um, but but I saw this idea of, of you know, the, the savior complex uh, we put, uh, you know, hope in uh, uh, for this man. And so I started a project called Why Every President Sucked, which uh, just went through and detailed each and every president's, maybe even our heroes, Lincoln, Jefferson Adams, uh, you know, how do they suck beyond just like they own slaves? Um, you know, they did some crazy, crazy things, too. And so me doing that research and understanding that was helpful to me in terms of learning um, these somewhat mythical heroes that we think about when we think about our president. And if I had Lincoln in here right now, what he could do, if I had Reagan here today, what could he do? Seeing the frailty uh, of these men uh, written in short form, this coffee table book and uh, that I created, um, I thought was, was helpful into hopefully – um, gearing people's expectations down about what a president could be. Um, the funny thing is, I think our most recent president might have tipped that scale uh, in, in the opposite direction uh, in terms of, of, you know, maybe we want someone with, uh, you know, a little higher expectations. Um, but in general, that was a fun project for me in terms of I like doing it and I like creating and I'm a marketer and I'm a writer. Um, I wrote songs for all the presidents. We, we, there's there's AP US history teachers uh, throughout the country uh, that utilize my songs uh, in their curriculum to to walk through the presidents. To me, that's really fun. I haven't earned a penny on it. Um, there's no real real way to do it. Um, but I love being a part of helping people uh, think better. Um, the two couple of things I'm working on right now, uh, and, and is it okay if I just start talking about you know these these Go random projects? It. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll link so, them out. So yeah. So, yeah you no, and again, it's not. It's it's really not a publicity thing. It's just a, a fun way to keep my mind active in something outside of of, of my primary field. Um, but uh, but I have a daughter who's seven years old now, and uh, you know she as if if we're, we're watching a show and there's a kiss, she'll cover her eyes. I'm like, boy, what what. Um, what have I done, uh, or what is she seeing? Where she she just you know innately thinks uh, sex is bad, um, and you know that's probably not what she's thinking. But in general, there is there is some of a this is wrong. Um, there is some stigma that she has has, has encouraged. And, and I grew up deeply evangelical, uh, where where sex is very 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 bad until your wedding day, then it's all of a sudden good. Uh, and that cognitive dissonance is very hard uh, to process for a lot of us who who grew up religious. So I started thinking about like. Um, you know, what does that sex talk look like? Uh, or is it a talk or is it a conversation that starts when your child is three and, you know, uh, ends never. Um, and so what I did was I just interviewed people, um, 
through SurveyMonkey, uh, asked some quantitative and some qualitative questions about um, their sex talk, what they liked about it, what they didn't, how they would rank it, um, their political and religious beliefs, um, um, you know, that kind of thing, and and got some, you know, fantastic answers that selfishly are going to help me uh, give better sex talks to my daughter and now my newborn son um, as they get older. Um, but I see huge value in that of, of boy, I should document these and, and, and put these together. And, uh, you know, because when I when I ask my friends about, have you talked to your kid about sex yet? And uh, they're like, oh, no, like I'm getting to it. You know, my wife's been nagging me about it, but I haven't done it yet. And I'm like, your son's 13. Like, you're you're, you're, you're too late on this. And mm-hmm. and um, my sex talk, uh, how PG is this, uh, is, is, is this podcast? In my <laughs> well, life? I could just mark it explicit, I guess. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not, it's not explicit, <laughs> but but, but uh, uh, it's a little bit of a sidecar. But sure, uh, seventh grade, my dad picks me up from basketball practice uh, at school. He's very nervous and very awkward. Not 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 a deep talker. He is also a a, a higher ed geek himself. Um, but uh, but very nervous in the car ride home. Uh, and in my head, I'm writing my own story, and uh, I'm thinking, boy, he's gonna tell me my parents are getting a divorce. We're about three minutes from the house. We're at a stoplight. He turns and looks at me kind of awkwardly and says, so do you know what a scrotum is? Out of the blue, we had not been talking about any of this stuff ahead of time, just launches into it, uh, completely caught back. And I'm in seventh grade, pre-internet, uh, and I say, I think so. The truth was, no, I, I did not know. And he looks back at me and says, it's your ball sack. And it is silence, Dustin, for the next two and a half minutes oh, as we ride home in silence. And I assume, I could only imagine that eventually he went in, I ran up to my room and hid, and he went up and talked to my mom, and she said, so how did it go? He said, oh, yeah, we had the talk, went great. I'm, I'm guessing he was coaxed or conjoled into saying, you need to have this with your adolescent son, but there is just some sort of like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do this comfortably. Um, and, and even, you know, you know, 20 years later, where I, I think uh, the sexual ethic in this country is, tra- is changing and there is less shame and stigma, there is some sort of um, we don't exactly know how to do this well. We know that we did not like our own, uh, or we did, and, and we can learn from that. Um, but, but what should that look like today? And so, again, this goes back to my whole thing of, of this idea of, of communicating ideas and disseminating information and, and elevating the, the you know, consciousness in general and making people smarter is just a universal obsession with me. And so while um, you know, the majority of my time goes into thinking about how can that kind of mindset elevate higher ed, uh, just in general, how can we elevate uh, you know, thought and intelligence uh, in general? Do we have time for one more quick one that I'm really obsessed about right now? Go for it. Go for it. The the guy in the office right next to me, uh, he's a he's a, a big, imposing, bald man who you know, a guy that uh, you know, if you're walking down the street, you're not super excited uh, about having to, to, to pass late at night. And we're we're in we're a year and a half into our relationship where we discover we're both deep philosophy lovers. And I had this weird thinking of like, why did I learn this a year and a half ago? Why did we talk about the weather uh, and small talk and nonsense for a year and a half when we could about been talking Nietzsche and Freud? Uh, And so that idea about how to make the private more public is something that I am obsessed with right now. Um, and so what I did was uh, uh, I created a, a shirt, you know, those Helvetica shirts that are like, Bacon strips and bacon strips and bacon strips are like uh, Ross and Rachel and Monica and Joey. And right, so it's the right, idea right. of like, yeah, it, it, it's like it's like code. It's like, look, it, it's like wearing a band T-shirt. It's like, you know, wearing a Wilco shirt. And you're like, oh, Wilco, yeah, 
Um, speaking of which, for all you Wilco fans out there, uh, Glenn Kochi was my drum teacher uh, in Naperville, Illinois, growing up. So, so uh, uh, Wilco's drummer was the guy who taught me how to play the drums. Small world. Uh, <laughs> Fun but, fact, yeah. <laughs> but, um, um, but that idea of like, okay, I've got to start being more public with the fact that um, – I'm obsessed with Ricky Gervais and Carl Pilkington, and I'm into Stoicism, and I listen to Bon Iver and uh, Bon Iver, sorry, and uh, I'm into Paleo and and Spin Class, and it's like you know this idea about what if there is someone two doors down from me in my neighborhood that I would be hetero life mates with if I simply knew the overlap of Venn diagram that we had in our interests and relationships. And so, um, you know, I think on the dating apps like eHarmony and Match.com, you have some sort of kind of personality tests like that. But I still see Dustin's face and I choose left or right before I get to learn anything about him. Right. And and, and so as a, as, a, as, a, as a happily married person, for me, it's it's more of a how do I find new friends. But in general, um, this idea of, of, of how do – how do like-minded Dustins find like-minded Dustins? Um, and the fact that no one has solved for that well, or at least I have not seen it, uh, is to me this hugely critical problem that I'm surprised you know more people haven't uh, gotten behind. Um, so in general, thank you for letting me just kind of riff, just because if any of you are interested in these problems, I would love to talk to you because I'm kind of obsessed with them. But that's what I love about higher education people in general and higher ed marketing people in general is we are obsessively curious and creative and want to make the world a better place. And, uh, you know, we're just crazy enough to think that we might be the ones to to help get it done. So that's why I like being friends with you and, and being a member of these kinds of communities is because it's my favorite people in the world who who just want to figure out the world and run. Yeah. Yeah, that's really like a lot of cool stuff. Cause I th- like, it's something now because I think like, side hustles and these sort of things have become so like i don't know it's, it's become mainstream and they become like almost like fashionable like everybody's doing them and some sort of things and there's like a lot baked into that because sometimes it's like well i'm working a second job because i have to to survive this is not like a cool like side project. So it's like acknowledging that where it's like okay people need to be more like gainfully employed like we need to be talking about like compensation you know whatever but then the other part of it of like that you can get so much positive benefit from like doing like why all the presidents sucked kind of thing and it's just like i don't need it to make money like i got a lot from it i know that other people did as well i'm just like if you did put the pressure on it to try to like you know milk some teachers for their like very few dollars that they already have it's like yeah like it it wouldn't uh, you know like it wouldn't have helped as many people and it wouldn't you know you would have been like oh well this was a failure because it didn't make a lot of money or whatever like but it's like recognizing the value it gave for you not needing it to make money and you know, yeah, it's just something to sort of keep busy with and those sort of things. And, um, yeah, also, because I, I, I feel like I keep saying this and it was represented in what he said about, like, the president's, like, now, like, because there's always all these, like, scandals coming out about, like, anybody. You know, like, they have this, like, social media post from who knows when, like, and they said something really insensitive and whatever. And some people are able to, like, endure it better than others. But, like, that nobody should put, like, all of their, like, reverential, like, focus on like one person because it's like we're all humans none of us are perfect like something about every president made them suck like they did a thing that was not great you know um so it's like yeah there's no like perfect individual because it's it's like you know they, they do make a mistake and you're like oh my gosh like i can't believe it like that person like what it's like yeah, because, like, they're human, you know? They're so, people. like, everyone has flaws. So, yeah. um, 
they have no, it's like fascinating yeah and I'll, and I'll give you a, a to, to riff off your your idea of pursuing things because you're legitimately curious about them I can link it back to to a, a, a more industry related uh, uh, thing about it so um, a year ago or so um, uh, we were playing around with some content marketing ideas for helix and I just decided to go down the street, work in a Starbucks for two weeks, and write the Enrollment Growth Playbook, which is, you know, 120 pages hardcover of here's how to think about positioning and branding uh, and marketing strategy and enrollment operations and success coaching. And here's how to think about, you know, if you're creating Ramsdale University, uh, here's how to think about that at a very, very high, high level. And I didn't, I didn't write it all by myself. I, I, have, I have amazingly brilliant people here at Helix who, who helped inform me. Um, but uh, that was fun to kind of gather all those thoughts, um, you know, and, and the day that we launched that uh, internally at Helix, I had a, uh, a 500, uh, uh, you know, inquiry goal for the year, um, you know, KPI set for me. The day we launched the Enrollment Growth Playbook, uh, we got 1,300 downloads. Uh, and so something about it just struck the industry. And I think it's well, it's 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 not something about it. It's it's we are curious people who want to do our jobs well, and so if we can create things that help us think better and help us do our job better, and even maybe help help us look better in front of our boss, there's going to be a huge response to it. So um, I was super excited about that, but I also learned that a lot of people didn't read it, and so my next step out of curiosity was, what if I turn it into a video game? What if I turn this 120 page book into a very short little 10 minute? Um, you know, old school type click and point uh, video game where it is an, an enrollment growth hero. It is called Enrollment Growth Hero. You can play it if you'd like. Uh, who goes around campus and meets with his VP of marketing and meets with his provost, meets with his president, and he is um, kind of the the bridge maker or she uh, to uh, create this enrollment growth plan for the future of the university and. I did it because um, I, I liked the idea of having to create a computer game. Uh, it did almost nothing uh, in terms of, of interest. To me, it was so exciting to me. I had such an interest in it. Uh, I, there, there was almost no no people who wanted to play it. And I think the reality is because C-level higher ed is still – uh, you know, unfortunately, sixty-year-old um, white male, um, and so the the uh, idea of going back to a, a King's Quest-looking uh, '90s video game for me had some nostalgia. Did not for that sixty-year-old clientele, um, but. I personally loved the idea of, of like, what would it take to make a video game? And I had to learn all these things and, and work with programmers. And so, so part of this is um, you don't always – you can't always see into the, into the future. But do big things uh, that, that even if they're failures, you'll learn from and your team will learn from uh, and just try some. So while it was embarrassing to, um, to you know, come back to, to my president and our COO and say, you know, this, this kind of underperformed what I thought it was going to. Um, you know, it was small ball in terms of the money we had to put into it. Um, and, and it was a good learning for all of us. And so being a part of an organization where, uh, you have the freedom to think big, play and try things is just so critical. If you are just this insatiably curious person who wants to grow and wants to build, finding a culture that allows you to do that is so critical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to go check out that game just, uh, yeah, it sounds, uh, yeah, just like I don't know because I, 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 I kind of have a soft spot for that. I'm just like I mean I've played video games my entire life and just I put like, I put game I put game in complete brackets in terms of. <laughs> 
it is kind of a, a running yes/no dialogue that you cannot do anything wrong in. Uh, just it's, it's a different way and a quicker way to explore some of those same concepts. Um, but uh, but for the higher you know higher ed world, we learned that a hardcover book um, was uh, was uh, uh, much more interesting to that audience. And again, you know, no matter who you're you're working with, um, you know, whether they're students or, or whether they're adults, um, you know, learning more about your audience by trying and playing and testing and seeing what works is is, is just so important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess we'll do the, the last two questions like rapid fire here um, for the sake of time. So anything um, that you're reading, watching and or listening to that you just want to just kind of give a tip of the hat to really quick that we include in the show notes. Just uh, yeah, anything you're, you're excited about. Reading, watching. Uh, so, so um, Dustin is very familiar with the Connect Edu podcast network. Mm. Uh, it's one that both of our podcasts are a part of, and and I literally do just listen to every single show. Uh, I, I have a soft spot for higher ed, um, but that network specifically um, is 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 putting together and putting out some amazing content. Uh, and so, whether you're in student affairs or you have uh, a job related to enrollment growth, you can find a show um, that will make you do uh, your job better. Um, I think right now I am obsessed with Benjamin Franklin, uh, after, uh, reading the Walter Isaacson biography. Uh, and so I'm, you know, I think it's funny as us who are just these perpetual continuous learners, um, seeing some of the things that he's thinking through, you know, 200 years ago about, yeah, I mean, the government is so slow moving. Shouldn't we just have like smaller groups of like-minded people who get together and think through things and just build stuff in their town? It's like, yeah, I think that's like what Dustin and me and our friends are are doing too. <laughs> it's just fun seeing the similarities and, and seeing that the exact same problems that existed existed 200 years ago have some of the same solutions. Uh, so that one's been uh, incredibly exciting for me. Um, higher education specific. Um, if you're a marketer, uh, um, that's not that's probably not an ad. The Ad Week podcast um, is incredibly helpful because I think if we stay in the higher ed marketing bubble, um, we're staying about eight years behind the rest of the world in terms of what we're doing from an advertising standpoint. Um, so that's probably not an ad. Um, or sorry, that's probably an ad. Uh, the Ad Week podcast is is quick, thirty minutes. Um, they have their their top editorial team on that, uh, helping uh, talk through innovations in advertising technology, in creative, in terms of the agency world and what media buying looks like now that it's more of an art than a science um, or, or the combination of thereof. thereof. Um, from, a, from, from a professional development standpoint, if you find a Connect EDU podcast you like as well as that Adweek podcast, uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good use of your time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, appreciate that little uh, nod there, because uh, yeah, all, I, I love all the shows on there. I love all the people that do them. So um, yeah, I always like to give them a shout out. But um, yeah, so last question. Um, so maybe just just one thing um, that you are looking forward to. Always like to end the show on an optimistic note. So um, yeah, what what are you looking forward to? In the world, uh, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to. Um, finances not being the thing that's keeping people from getting an education. 
Um, and that was the thing that drew me to high red 10 years ago when I thought we were really close. Um, I think, I think corporate sponsorship might get us there closer. Um, you know, my daughter's seven, um, you know, what's going to be out there when, you know, she's 17. Um, but I mean, it exists right now where if, if, if you want to go to school, but don't know how to pay for it, you can go get a job at Starbucks and go to school for free. And there are dozens of companies like that, and there's going to be hundreds, uh, and that changes the game. Uh, and then accessibility, uh, is, is no longer the game completion is the game. And that's a very different game and a challenge that um, we might not be fully focused on. I mean, if you look at the retention rates uh, in higher education, they're abysmal. Um, And so what does that mean in terms of, you know, it's part of that a financial reality? Yes, the the, the majority of it honestly is. Um, But what does that mean from a student experience standpoint or the fact that students aren't valuing the education that we're giving them? Um, How do uh, they, you know, have an Amazon transaction or this Disneyland experience where it feels like this organization knows them and is, is seeking to delight them. Uh, and they come to higher ed and it's so different. Um, how do we get closer to that customer experience? And, and how do we not have people uh, on our higher ed teams that are fundamentally and focused on the customer experience and thinking about how to Disneyfy, not from an entertainment standpoint, but just from a they know me, they understand me, they're here to support me. Um, As higher ed is moving in that direction, that's what I'm excited about. Very cool. Yeah, it's good stuff to be excited for. And I think, yeah, it's like well positioned to, uh, to do that. And I think it, you know, sometimes like necessity, you know, driving that innovation kind of thing. But um, no, yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that you did and mentioning a lot of great stuff for people to check out, uh, some for fun, some for kind of uh, fulfillment and learning and uh, those sort of things. So, um, yeah, we'll have, you know, links to everything down in the show notes for folks to uh, connect with and ways to connect with you as well. If, uh, like you said, uh, they're interested in kind of keeping the conversation going there. So, um, yeah, just thanks again. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon. And at least, uh, yeah, I don't just always like seeing, uh, you know, what you're cooking up over there for your show and, uh you know, appreciate the work that you're putting into that as well. So, um, yeah, just thanks again. You're the best. Uh, thanks so much for having me on and, uh, always a great, uh, opportunity. I just love the opportunities to, to get to pick your brain. So, uh, like that, uh, that some people got to eavesdrop in on it today. This podcast is part of the connect edu podcast network, bringing together diverse voices in the higher ed community. Check us out on Twitter at connectedupod or at connectedu.network. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.